So let's see. We are in John. Our J's of Christmas have continued, so it was Jeremiah, John, Jude, and we'll go back to John, just simply because it made my life a little simpler. So we are in chapter 14, so as I say this every single time, what must we do? Can we just airdrop into chapter 14 and be like, oh, this is fine, we'll just pick it up right here. And No, we got to know a little bit about where we've been. I am not going to attempt to summarize the entirety of Jesus' earthly ministry. We haven't got that kind of time, all right? Just know that in John 14, we have entered into the upper room. This is really the big kickoff of what is known as the upper room discourse, which will run through chapter 17, which means we are post the public ministry, we are post triumphal entry, and we are post Jesus' declaration that he is leaving, which if you are the apostles would be kind of a big deal. That's at the beginning of chapter 14. Now, why do those things matter? Because we are sitting here in the upper room, taking the public ministry of Jesus and applying it directly. So, way to, way to explain this. Did you ever wonder where the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, got all that great theology? I mean, yes, it's Holy Spirit-inspired writing, but does that mean that there was no hope for understanding any of that unless the Holy Spirit, like, whacked you upside the back of the head and told you what to write? No. You can actually take the teachings of Christ, you can take the lessons that he was teaching, and you can apply them. That is what your epistles of the New Testament are doing. They're not attempting to do it, they are doing it. That is what we are supposed to be attempting to do in our day-to-day life. If you would like a kickoff of that, read the Upper Room Discourse. As you know by now, it will do you good. So, what does it look like when you take what Christ has done when you take what he has taught publicly and you distill it down to the individual level. It looks like what's going on here. So as we go through this, what is peace? Where does it come from? And why do we care? Sound like fun? All right, shall we dive in? Verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. All right, time out. Easy question that you should get the answer to. Why will the Father listen if Jesus asks for something? <laughs> Look, okay, but does every kid who comes up to you and asks you for something gives you all of your kids, Dad, can I have? I mean, let's be honest. Okay, parents. Ooh, this is a bad idea. Okay, there we go. Nope, never mind. I'll just knock that over before the end of the day. Your children walk up and go, Dad, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> What do you want? You're bothering me, kid. Get off my lawn. No. <laughs> just, throw that in for, just throw that in there for Vern every once in a while. Every once in a while, we have to randomly tell people to get off the lawn. It's, it makes life better. No. Just because kids ask doesn't mean they get. But why will this one get? Matthew chapter 3. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Fast forward to Matthew 17. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The Son has done the work that the Father has sent him. This is part of the earthly ministry. This is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. I can only tell you what I've seen. I can only teach you what I know. The Father has sent the Son. The Son has been obedient to the Father. The Father, the Son has accomplished. This is what the public ministry in John is all about. Therefore, when the Son asks, the answer will be yes, because he has asked according to the plan and working of the Father. And by the way, This is why keeping up with what's going on in your New Testament and even what's been going on throughout your Old Testament is so important. You don't just read your Bible. See, this is the mistake we get into. All right, I read Matthew. Let's just put that off to the side. I want to go read, you know, 1 Corinthians. And I'm not telling you not to read your Bible this way. If this is how you read your Bible, you know what I want you to do? I want you to read your Bible. However you do that, read your Bible. This people ask me, what's the best Bible translation? This is the easiest answer ever. The one you will read. Now, do I think there are some translations that are more faithful to the original Hebrew and Greek than others and would therefore be better for you to study? Yes, but the best Bible translation is the one you will read. Whatever one you will read, read it, please. However you dive through your books, if you like, I need a reading plan, so I did, then do that. If I just like to pick books, then do that. If I like to read one book, do that. However you will do it, 
do it. But when you do that, recognize that you are reading one book. We've covered this a thousand times. We will cover this a thousand more times because there are only only so many drums that you can beat that are accurate, okay? We have 66 books. We have two testaments. We have four continents, three languages, 40 authors, 1,600 years separating the first book written from the last book written. We have one story, one main story. When you read whatever book it is that you are reading, make sure you are fitting that, that book into that one story. Otherwise, that's how you end up in really weird places doing really weird things. Typically with really weird people. It's amazing how those things all seem to go together. But if you, if you want to avoid that, you avoid that by remembering that this fits into an overall narrative that God is telling from beginning to end. That's part of what's going on here. Now, who has John been proving Jesus is this entire time? God, we've talked, we talked about this when we went through John. If somebody was to say, I wish there was a place in the, in the New Testament where Jesus claimed to be God. Well, take him to John 1. John 2, John 3, John 4. Just, just, just read John. It's in there somewhere. You will find it. This matters because it is the continuity of God's work. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For as many as are the promises of God in him, talking about Christ, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Therefore, this work, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever, will be accomplished as it was promised. Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. As Paul talks about the fulfillment in Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, Get into my little random Christmas limbo here. You know, the worst part is that was my idea, so this is just, I have no one to blame but myself. Yes, that was my idea. I thought Vern needed decora- some decorations. It, it looks more festive for him. We had an extra one. I didn't know where else to put it, so I thought Vern would appreciate it. Vern appreciates Christmas decorations. See? He, he, com- he, com- he compliments my Christmas tree every year when he sees it as he goes by. So, What was I talking about that was actually of value? <laughs> where are we? Who are you? What is going on here? Always remember this about the work of God. He has not redeemed you in only to leave you to your own devices. This is something we've been covering, you know, time after time in my Sunday school class. Humanity, when left amongst themselves and to themselves, what do they accomplish? Well, they accomplish something. It's just not any good. Yes, it's evil. Hmm, yes, that's what they accomplish. They accomplish sin, corruption, destruction, death, mayhem. They're basically that Allstate commercial, you know, with the mayhem guy making everything. Yeah. That's what we do. That's, that's us when left to ourselves. So if God were to say, you know, die for your sins, cleanse you from that unrighteousness and say, okay, you're good now, figure it out, what would happen about 25 seconds later? Yeah, you'd be in the same boat. This is why this promise is so important. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The beginning of understanding the work of God is understanding that God has not abandoned you nor forsaken you. That doesn't mean that he just hasn't forgotten about you, but he's here. He's walking. You know, we, we always like to, to take that um, where two or three are gathered in my name out of context. You, you know you don't need two or three, right, Christian? That he's, he's there, the Holy Spirit is indwelling his people, that God is not just looking down going, oh man, we got to get another Christian over there to Joey so something good can happen. No, God's right there. He's with Joey because Joey's his. You don't just like send the kids up and be like, ah, you know, don't let anything bad happen to you. No, if you can go, you go. And the Father is gone. He has sent the Spirit. He has changed the heart. He has renewed the mind. He has cleansed from unrighteousness, and he is preparing them to go forward. This was the example in my Sunday school class this morning with Jonah. God told Jonah to do something. Jonah said no. Who won? <laughs> Jonah ends up kicking and screaming, stinking like a fish out of the ocean, 
back in Nineveh to do what God has said. That's why I've joked with you guys before about the footprints in the sand thing, that sometimes, sometimes it's just a war, and God, by the work of his Spirit, is dragging you to sanctification in spite of you. And that is the greatest blessing known to man because it is his work in you because you are his. You are his child, and he cares about you. Therefore, he cares what happens to you. Therefore, he doesn't just leave you to yourself or to chance, but he actually works to accomplish what is going on in his kingdom. Remember that as we go through this, okay? Keep that. That's your foundation that we're going to start with. Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That that alone is what separates the us from the them. This is the other lesson from Jonah this morning. What was one of Jonah's biggest problems? I don't want God to save those people. Have you seen them? Have you seen what they live like? What they do? <laughs> no, I don't want them to be saved. Who do you think they are? Us? God's anointed chosen people? Yeah. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. The only thing that separates us from them is that we've been given bread. We are the beggar. We were starving and someone gave us bread. We're like, (laughs) I'm not starving now. Why? Because I'm so awesome that I grew some bread and made it manifest out of thin air? No, because someone gave it to me, which means why aren't you starving anymore? Because I gave you the bread as well. That's the only reason. The only thing that makes us different from them is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's not that we're better. It's that God is at work in us, keeping us from ourselves, cleansing us. 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In other words, it's a reminder constantly that the reason why I can proclaim, the reason why I can walk, the reason why I can still have hope and joy and peace in this world is because I recognize that it is God who has redeemed me. And the same God who has redeemed me has given the means by which he may redeem you. Because if he can redeem me, and we all know how bad I was, then there's a chance even for as bad as you are. It's again the lesson of Jonah. He can save Nineveh. Oh my goodness, those people. Go read a history book about the Ninevites. If God can redeem those people, he can redeem any people. And that's the lesson. I don't have to be bitter. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be sullen. I don't have to be worried. I can have calm in life because my future is secure. My work is secure. My message is secure. It bears fruit. This is the other thing we don't think about. See, We think about this and go, well, if I try to evangelize someone and they don't listen, I failed. No, you didn't. Were you obedient to God? Yes. Then you win. You have succeeded. We'll go, we'll we'll steal Jonah again. Let's say Jonah goes to Nineveh, proclaims the message, and then 40 days later, God destroys Nineveh. Was Jonah a failure? No, he did what God told him to do. He did what God told him to do. Mission accomplished. I actually didn't get hired at a church like this years ago because I had the nerve to tell them that. Small little church literally in the middle of nowhere. When I say in the middle of nowhere, like go out like past Rochelle and then drive like another like half hour to nowhere and then turn left and that's about where this church was. They had, uh, they had about 20 people on a Sunday morning. And of course, you know what their first question is to me now standing in the room. What do you think they want to know what we're, how, what we're going to do? How are we going to get more people? Like, look around the church. There aren't people. They're, they're like, aren't. And they just kind of, they, a couple people took a step back. So what are we going to do? I'm like, we're going to be faithful. We're going to proclaim, proclaim the word. We're going to build up the saints. And we're going to disciple your children and your grandchildren that are around. And we're going to evangelize the people that are here. And then we're going to trust that God does stuff. And what happens if we close? Then we were faithful to the end. Can't imagine why they wouldn't hire someone like me, could you? <laughs> No, they wanted 27 steps on how we're going to get bigger. Like, you want to know what we're going to do? We're going to be faithful. That's what we're going to do. And one good advantage, the director of missions for the association was glad I told him that because he said he'd been telling him that for a year. So I, I felt a little bit better about myself. But That's mission accomplished. See, we are Americans living in the 24th and a half century, Daffy Duck. We think that everything relates to results, and it doesn't. 
What have you heard me tell you a million times? What do I care? Do I care what you do? I care what? Why? Why did you do it? Because that's what matters. Are you faithful in what God has called? Yes. Did it accomplish what you thought it would accomplish? Probably not. Because typically that's where we get ourselves confounded and confused. Because we think, if I do this, then God does that, and this is what it looks like at the end. Maybe. Maybe not. What matters is, am I following faithfully, walking in the footsteps that Christ has laid down, persevering to the kingdom that God is building so that I'm accomplishing eternal value? If I'm doing that, I win. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter if they kill me. Doesn't matter if they hate me. Doesn't matter if the church dies. Doesn't matter if the church explodes. And I don't mean that in the bad way. I mean that like the good way, like, you know, thousands of people. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, what do you do? I'm faithful. Because here's what happens. If you focus on the ends, then you know what you'll always change? The means. Christian, the ends never justify the means. Ever, 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 ever. The means are what matter. The means are what I'm doing day in and day out. How I'm living, how I'm walking, what I'm thinking about. What's my foundation this morning? What do I remember constantly? God has not forsaken me, but he is walking in the midst of everything that I'm doing. Therefore, everything that I'm doing is eternally valuable and important. This used to be the Christian foundation for what we call a theology of vocation. You know what vocation is, right? Vacation is when you're not at work. Vocation is when you are at work. A Christian theology of vocation was, guess how many jobs are important and vital? All of them. All of them. There are no useless, empty jobs. The CEO is no more important than the person who hands out parking tickets. Or the person who picks up cigarette butts on the sidewalk. Why? Because they've both been placed in that place by God. Therefore, they work unto him and not unto themselves. Therefore, no job is better than another. That's an understanding of the Spirit walking with you and abiding in you, making everything important. It's an understanding that what I do in the here and now has eternal value because it is done, not for you, but for God. That's why this matters. So verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. Remember what we're doing in the upper room. We're taking public ministry and we're making it what? We're making it personal. So Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. When you imagine that, what does it look like? Do you imagine it as large swaths of people being judged, being blessed at the same time? Because I have a tendency to start making things big picture. I'm an, I'm, an organiz, I'm an organized person, believe it or not, contrary to what it looks like on a Sunday morning. Cameron will vouch for me. I'm typically very organized. If I, if I don't know where I put my keys down, I can find them easily because they're only in one of two places. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Mike is the opposite of that. <laughs> it's nothing personal. It doesn't make me better than you. I'm just different. Cameron is more like you. She will just put her purse down and be like, that was never there before. Why does that matter? Because when I, look at, when I look at that, I see this kind of like a big assembly line. And you know what I lose? That God separating the sheep from the goats is not separating the sheep from the goats. It's separating the sheep and the goats. The work that God is doing amongst the nations, amongst every tribe, tongue, and language is a work that is being done amongst the people of the nations of every tribe tongue, and language. It is being done in individuals. He has not forgotten the people. By the way, Christian, that's good news. Guess who you are? You, you are people, right? God is not just being like, all right, we got to deal with Calvary. No. He's got to deal with Mike. He's got to deal with Vern. He's got to deal with Daryl. He's got to deal with the people because that's how the work is accomplished. It's not just like, all right, well, Calvary gets thrown into the sea, and then we'll deal with the rest of Rockford over here. No, 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 we're dealing with the individuals, which is, again, this is something we've talked on Wednesday a few times, why I cringe every time there's like a natural disaster, and inevitably, every time there's a major disaster, some nitwit on a prosperity channel gets up and says, this was the judgment of God, and they always sound like that, too, and I don't know why, but, and I get annoyed, why? 
Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Have, have, you, have you considered that some of God's people were brought into eternity through that disaster? Is that judgment? No. That's blessing. Have you considered that some of the people not brought into eternity are not going to be judged? That they are his children or they will be his children? In which case, that's not judgment. That's discipline. That's pruning. That's purifying. That's a godly work that you just all swept up into. Y'all are going to hell. Look, is there a time and a place to yell, y'all are going to hell? Sure. When everyone's going to hell in the group you're speaking to. But if you don't know, then don't declare. Because God is not just at work amongst the nation. He's at work amongst the people individually, day in, day out. A great example of this is the history of Israel. When you read your Old Testament, Israel is literally, Israel, northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. Um, we covered this in Sunday school. We've covered this a little bit in the history as we go through here. Like you read through chapters of the kings and the people, and when you read the, um, you read the epitaphs on Israel and Judah, it will make this, the hair on the back of your neck stand up, and it'll make your skin crawl. The, the wickedness, the level of idolatry and sin that those nations engaged in. And when you read those, those conclusions about why God brought the judgment he brought, you're sitting there going, I understand why he did it, and I'm shocked he didn't do it like four centuries ago. But realize at the same time, that was all of Judah sinful. Was all of Israel engaged in idolatry? No, Elijah. There were 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. There were kings and there were officials and there were priests who were faithful, who were fighting the good fight. There were people, as um, 2 Peter talks about, there were people like Noah and Lot who are being corrupted and who are being grieved by the sin that they see. Having to walk and work in faithfulness. Does that make them perfect? No. But it makes them gods. Because he's working amongst people. You want your world to change. Eric Clapton, what should you do? Try to change people. We, we, need, we, we, need, a, we need a, Christian, a country that's more Christian. Then you need more Christians. Like, we need to vote better. Then you need better voters, which means you need to disciple people. You need to change hearts and minds, which means you should be proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because what other message has the power to change hearts and minds? See, this is the cure what made you not them? Go and do likewise. See, this is why remembering who you are and why you stand there is so vital to Christian living. Is you can't just sit there and go, well, the thing that got me in was this. So there's got to be something else to get them in. No, 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 no. The same gospel proclamation of Christ, the same work of the Holy Spirit, the same message of peace and grace and mercy from God that brought you in. It's the same message that brings them in. We just don't like that because we suddenly think we're better than they are because we're here and they're there. <laughs> may it never be Christian. As we live, as we walk, as we persevere, we do so by the grace and mercy of God and proclaiming the grace and mercy of God because that's the only reason why we're accomplishing what it is we're accomplishing. Hence reason. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live in you. You will live also. So you can keep going. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In other words, in that day, you'll be complete. Isn't that what you're longing for? To, to be with God, to be one, to, to be rid of this and to be with God? This is the promise, Philippians 1. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I have a really fun question to ask you. Are you ready? You dug in? Ah, it went away. As soon as, somebody's messing with me. Mike saw that, isn't it? In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. When is that day? See, I knew somebody was going to say that because of what we've been doing in Revelation on Wednesday night. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Does the Holy Spirit wait until eternity to come into you? Does the Holy Spirit wait until the day of judgment to go, okay, whoa, that one's mine, we better grab him. In that day is now. It's now. <laughs> it's okay. I set you up. I, 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 I was bad. I set you up. I knew, you, I knew somebody was going to do it. It's okay. See, Christian, stop for a second. You know, rewind the mechanism for a minute there and let that actually sink in for a minute, okay? That's now. The Holy Spirit is indwelling now. Unity with God is now. Peace with Christ is now. Not then, 
now. Now, will it be then? Yes, but it's also now. It's not like you are, again, just spinning around. You're going, I really hope they figure this out because I would love to be able to redeem them when the end comes, but I got to make sure that they, they got to stay on the path. And if they don't stay on the path, then what am I going to God is not like my nervous grandmother. And, and yes, my grandmother was like that. It's okay. Explains a lot more about my childhood, but you didn't ask. God doesn't just send you out in hope. He sends you out in accomplishment. You are redeemed in him. You are righteous in him. You are cleansed in him. You are his. Now. That's what we're trying to do. I used this example a few few weeks ago. The guys. Do you remember the first time your dad told you you were a man? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring up those bad memories, but you know. You're good. Now, you know, what can I say? Or when you were told you did a good job by your dad or your uncle or your grandfather. And you grew like seven inches that day, didn't you? Because you were just like, I can't possibly, I'm going to hurt myself standing so tall. Why? Because you had felt like you had accomplished something. And you wanted to then do what? I want to live like this how? All the time. I want everybody to see that I did a good job, that I, was, that I got this right, that I accomplished. I want everybody all the time. Christian, this is welcome to sanctification. You are righteous in him. Therefore, you seek to live righteously. I don't seek to live righteously so that I will be righteous. I seek to live righteously because I am in him. I seek to spurn sin because God has killed it. He has crushed it underfoot, just as he promised in the garden. The serpent in his head and his offspring, done. Therefore, I'm clean. I'm righteous. I'm his. I walk a little taller. Why? Because of who I am in him. Not so that he will, but because he already has in that day. John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, I wish somebody would show me a place in the Bible where Jesus claimed to be God. John 10. John 10, 30. There you go. You can start there and then work your way backwards or forward. Now, let's have some fun because... Anytime we get an opportunity to demonstrate continuity in the Bible, you know I'm just like a child at Christmas. So 21 through 24, but in light of the Old Testament. Sound like fun? Too bad. We're doing it anyway. (laughs) Sorry. You weren't excited enough. Now I'm sad. No. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. How do we do that? How do we do that, Christian? Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, the starting point to walking in godliness is what? Actual godliness, which means you need to have what? Grace, mercy, and sin covered. How blessed is the man? Okay. (laughs) How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven? Every once in a while, you just kind of see something in your brain, takes a left-hand turn, and now you got to get back on the track. So the blessing of the Old Testament is the same as the blessing of the New Testament. It's not how blessed is he who's sinless. It's how blessed is he who is forgiven. For the righteous man lives by faith because it is trust in God that brings repentance and righteousness. So Judas, not Iscariot, verse 22, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the whole world? That'd be a good question, right? Like what makes us so important? Continue on in Psalm 32. Psalm 32. 
When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore... Let everyone who is godly pray to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. What separates the us from the them? The gospel message. The proclamation of salvation through repentance, by grace through faith, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the sealing of his people until the day of eternity. That's the only difference, which means if that's what brought you in, what brings the them in? The same thing. Again, we don't reinvent the wheel here. We proclaim faithfully the same message that has been proclaimed since the garden. I mean, think about this. What was supposed to happen when they ate the fruit? What, what's, what's, the, what's the curse? In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. People ask, like, if you could get like the if you could get the DeLorean and fire it up to 88 miles an hour. Do you remember like when that used to be fast? <laughs> I remember being a kid and be like, 88 miles an hour. Oh my goodness. And then I got a driver's license and I'm like, 88 miles an hour, but that's a different discussion for another day. Oh. If you could have the DeLorean for a minute and go back, wouldn't you love to see the look on their face? As they realize that, be like, You're naked. I'm naked. We're not dead. How are we not dead? Then you start really wondering, right? What was supposed to happen? Death. Why doesn't it happen? See, don't, don't just give me the, well, well, they were spiritually separated from God and they began to die. Yes, but they, when I tell you, eat that and you'll die, do you think I'll eat that and then I'll die like a few hundred years down the road? No. When I tell you, eat that and you'll die, you're thinking what? Why didn't they? The Lord, the Lord, abounding in loving kindness, gracious and forgiving. That's the Reader's Digest bad summary of what God proclaimed when he went by Moses. In other words, you have the first opportunity to greatly proclaim who God is, and you start with what? Mercy and grace. The first time sin comes in, what's the immediate response of God? Mercy and grace. And then you see the redemption as the symbol of their sin is what? They're naked. God covers that with a sacrifice. God casts them out of the garden. At no point have they what yet? They haven't died yet. At some point, you got to be sitting there going, he's killing the animal. Okay, don't stand too close to the guy with the knife because you know what you're thinking next, aren't you? After he's done with the rabbit or whatever, he's coming after me because what's supposed to happen to me? Yeah, it's a, you got to figure out, Adam and Eve at some point had to be out of the garden, dressed in the covering from God, having been taught about the sacrifice and thinking, we're, 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 not, we're not dead. Why do you think they taught Cain and Abel how to give sacrifice? Because they recognize that the grace and mercy of God meant that they weren't dead. And if his grace and mercy will cover us, maybe it'll cover them and their children and their children and their children. In other words, it's a passing down of the same message. Christian, why do you stand? As Jude talked about, why do you stand blameless in his glory with great joy? Because you stand in him, redeemed. It's the same message. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing has changed. That's why you know. Because you recognized your sin and repented by grace through faith, and he has redeemed you and is now instructing you and carrying you forward. We're not better. We just have some more information. And then we do what with that information? We build, we walk, and we share. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In other words, sanctification. Because we are new, we follow what is now alien to a sinful nature. Go back to Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. You've heard me use that example, the bitten bridle. Satan, for all his snarling and growling and seeking someone to devour, how does he exist? On a leash. Who holds the other end of it? God does. God does. Christian, are you on a leash? Believe it or not, you're not. You don't have an external motivation. You have an internal motivation. Why do you put a bit in a horse's mouth? You got to control them. You got to steer them in a way to go. Can you just sit on the horse and be like, hum, I am one with the horse and we shall gallop now. <laughs> yeah, and you, you pull and you turn. I mean, I'm not, you can tell I'm really into horses, right? <laughs> I mean, for those of you that have dogs, I've grown up with dogs my entire life. You know what I've never been able to do? Never been able to look at the dog and make him do what I want. You're like, mm, no, 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 wrong way. No. Doesn't work like that. You have to instruct. You have to give a command. In order for the command to mean anything, you have to do what? You have to teach it to them. So I always get bad. I, I realized how annoyed. I, I learned this lesson over the course of many years because my father had to keep teaching it to me. And I realized how annoying that was to him now because I do the same thing to my kids. So like our St. Bernard, Andre, will do something that the children don't want him to do. And you know what they do? Andre, 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 Andre. And I'm like, the dog needs a command. Saying his name doesn't mean anything. You have to tell him something. And every time I say that out loud, I have these terrible flashbacks because I remember being their age and my father telling me the exact same thing. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a bad person. They have to be instructed. They have to be taught. They don't just do it by instinct. Christian, when was the last time you sinned? You were in sin and you didn't know it. Be honest. Be honest. Why? I'm serious. Why? Because in Christ, his law is written upon your heart. You know. You may not understand all the fine, intricate details and all the little things, how the, how the T's get dotted and the I's get crossed and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know. You know instinctively. I shouldn't be lying. I shouldn't be stealing. You know. Dang. Excuse me. Caught that one caught right there. You just know instinctively. You do it anyway. And then you feel bad about it. Why? Why do you feel bad about it? Yeah, but why did you know? See, this is, this is the internal motivation that the Holy Spirit provides. You are being taught. You are being instructed. You are being steered. You are being guided. And you know, which is, again, why I say sometimes your path of sanctification is the Holy Spirit going, come on, let's go. Things to accomplish here. Hadn't got time for this today. Let's go. Come on. Kicking and screaming because you know what you end up doing is you're going, yeah, but I like that sin. I love that one. I want to keep it around for a little while longer. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, fire. We're burning everything down. And if we got to burn everything down to kill that sin, what are we burning down? Everything. Welcome to discipline. Welcome to discipline. Which is again why I say, that natural disaster was, it's the judgment of the Lord. Maybe. I know, I always, I always pick on like Alabama for those guys, but they all seem to come from there. Why is that? I'm serious. You, you think I'm kidding. Name me the last time you turned on one of those prosperity channels and the guy was like, hey, it's a judgment of God. Give me your money, eh? Has it ever happened one time? That's my ter terrible Canadian accent. You ready? This is why I don't do Canadian. They're never like Canadian. They're all from the southern United States. I don't know why that is. It's just a thing. We're just going to go with it. And now that you are all completely off track, let's, see, let's get back on track. Sound good? Why do I not say that? Because... Maybe there's a believer in the midst of that natural disaster whose security was in their stuff. Their joy was in their family. Look, should you, should you rejoice over the family that God has given you? Yes. But should that be the source of your joy? No. Because at some, at some point, they can do something you don't like or they could do something you don't want them to do. And there you go. Now my peace is taken away and my joy is gone. No, my joy and my peace is in God. And in order to get you to forsake that sin, we had to burn down what? Everything. And God loves you enough to take that from you. He loves you enough to not leave you in that, but to guide you by his spirit and to redeem you to the very end. So maybe it is judgment. Maybe it's discipline. Maybe it's purification. Maybe it's a lot of things. You know who's got to figure that out in your life? You do. You know who needs to figure that out in my life? I do. 
Guided by what? The internal motivation of the Holy Spirit, the keeping, the moving, and the working. Now again, realize this, Christian. I am consistently talking about what God is doing in whose life? Yo, yo, yo. That was almost a word, wasn't it? Three tries, and I still didn't get the word yours out. Oh my goodness. Yours, mine, and all of his people. This is not just big picture. This is you. This, this is the question. Go, go um, Araceli, go, go back to 22. Go back to verse 22 real quick. What's happened? You're going to show yourself to us and not the whole world? Part of the starting point is, shouldn't you be showing yourself to everybody? No, he's working for his people. He's working in his creation, but he is ultimately working for his people. Christian, that hasn't changed. He's still working in his creation through and for his people, meaning he is working in your life day by day. This should be a sign and a, and a marker for you to lean into the things of God because they are there and they are active each and every day. Let's keep, let's keep moving. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And he did. This is 2 Peter 1 for uh, 2 Timothy 3. Uh, 2 Peter 1 again. I've got, I've got to mark both times. Go read 2 Peter 1 and 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed. Useful for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3. In other words, Scripture comes from God through his disciples, through his apostles. So, yep, 26. Sorry, I didn't say 26. (laughs) Araceli, 26. There it is. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And he did, and they did what with it? They put it in a book. So that you can do what? You can know what was taught, what was learned, what was applied, what was moving on. So verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Because his peace is beyond what we understand. It's what we were reading earlier in Philippians 4. Um, What happens, Christian, if the world tries to give you peace? What does that look like? I mean, Cain and Abel, nice and peaceful, right? Noah's world, that was super peaceful, wasn't it? The kingdom years of Israel, there was just peace abounding for that time period, right? Um, Any pagan society in human existence, how much peace have we had? I mean, Jesus even warns you what? There will be wars and rumors of wars. You You want a great quote? Who are my history people? Who, who's, who's into history? You ready? Because of the things done today, there will be peace in our time. Do you know who said that? The Prime Minister of England, Neville Chamberlain, said that in September of 1938. Was there peace in his time? No. His answer was, if we make this agreement, if we do this thing, if we just give here, we'll have peace. We'll have security. He said that right after his negotiation to give uh, Hitler some of the lands that he wanted. So they gave Hitler an inch, and Hitler did what? Took a mile, because what, what does humanity do? We go along to get along, and what do we get for our trouble? Nothing. Yeah, (laughs) We get millions of people dead, right? Because this is what happens when humanity is left to its own devices. The world doesn't have peace. Why? Because the world doesn't have the source of peace. The world doesn't have the instruction manual. Christian, you do. The Holy Spirit is the source of peace. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides and abides and carries you through. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on not being troubled and not being fearful in the world? Is that working out for you well? I mean, we live in a world just devoid of fear, don't we? Have the last two years of this world taught you nothing else except for how many people are terrified of everything? And I don't mean people taking legitimate, valid precautions. I mean people literally living in terror. 
Why? Because the world can't give you peace. Why aren't we doing any better, Christian? Because we're trying to find it in the wrong place. Where's my peace? It's in God. How do I access that? He is at work. Now stop. Apply that sentence to your daily life. He is at work. Where? In me. Which means the things going on in my my world are the things that God is bringing. This goes back to that theology of vocation. Well, all I'm doing is digging a ditch. Who sent you to dig ditches? God. Therefore, you dig that ditch to the glory of God. It is now valid eternally. It is now good eternally. Doesn't matter what it is here. It matters what the offering before God is. The same thing carries forward. The same idea matters in daily life. As I walk, it is God working in the day-to-day things of life. To do what? To refine me, purify me, discipline me, encourage me, bring me to a final day of completion in his kingdom so that I will stand there gloriously blameless with great joy because he has accomplished all these things. Now, When I understand that, and I actually think through that as I walk, what are you troubled about? What are you worried about? What are you afraid of? See, this is the step that we mess up. We say, well, my peace and joy are in God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means he's working. It means he's accomplishing. It means he's carrying me through, and that by his grace and mercy, I will persevere through all of these things because he will Get me through this. He will give me the means. He will give me the grace. He will give me the wisdom. He will give me the strength. And I will come through the other side of this some shape, form, or fashion. I may, we talked about this on Wednesday a few few weeks ago. I may come through the other side of this dead. But I will then be dead where? In the presence of the Lord. Sin gone. Totally redeemed. See again. I take up my cross and I follow after and I forsake the things of this world because the things of eternity are more important. That's where my peace is. That's where my joy is. That's where my security is found. So we continue. You heard that I said to you, verse 28, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. That's why I love the... um, the unintentional comedy of Acts chapter 1 is Jesus ascends into heaven and all the apostles are standing there. How? And the angel shows up and you know the angel has a sense of humor because he just walks into the group. And like, what does he say? Men of Galilee! And they all jump. What are you standing here staring up at the sky for? The same way he went, he will return to you. You know that's exactly how that went down. Just just you know. Why? Because it's a reminder of what? What's the angel reminding them to? The same thing. Jesus is leaving. Don't be sad about that. Rejoice. He's accomplishing the work. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Oh, sorry. That's verse 20. That's um, 30. Why does that matter, that the ruler of this world has nothing? Because he's already what? He's done. The war is over. Tried to kill the infant, didn't work. Tried to tempt him in the wilderness, didn't get anywhere. Note, if you remember when we went through John, you notice how many times they tried to kill Jesus? Like they picked up stones to stone him and he walked through the midst of them. You're like, how does that work? There's, what is, it, is it Luke 4? Go read Luke, it'll do you good. I think it's Luke 4. They're going to push him off a cliff and the whole mob grabs him to run him off a cliff and he just walks away. Like I want that voodoo power, don't you? Why does that work? Because he's not allowed yet. It's not time. When the time was right, in the fullness of time, it was accomplished and it was done rightly. Same thing. Now the time has come. Sin is going to be defeated. Sin is going to be cast down. But so that the world, verse 31, here's where we end. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. I like that little end because it's like, oh, we got things to do. The work has its produce. Hebrews 2. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You don't even think about that, how much the fear of death drives so many people. 
why do we all work as hard as we work? Why do we all try to accumulate health insurances and life insurances and savings accounts and retirement so we can do what when we die? <laughs> Pass it on because when I, because, but, but I mean, this is, this is stewardship, right? When I die, I want to make sure someone will provide for my family. I'm not telling you not to do those things. I'm just pointing out that when those things are done from a worldly perspective, they're basically a shaking a fist at God because who will provide for your family's needs? God will. Again, be wise, steward your things, the blessings that God has given you well, but recognize that it is God who accomplishes and God who provides. When that fear is gone, when I'm no longer worried about what this world can take with me or take from me, what happens to the war? It ends. When the war ends, what do we call that? No? You might have lost. It's peace. When the war is over, we're at peace. Christian, this is how you live in peace. You live in peace in the midst of war. Because you're still fighting, aren't you? Day in and day out. Sin will rear its ugly head this afternoon or tomorrow or Tuesday or whenever. And you're supposed to be at peace while you fight. Why? Because the fight's already won. It is accomplished in Christ. I'm going to have to deal with my, you know, pagan family members at Christmas or that great aunt, uncle, whatever that nobody wants to talk to. And I'm going to be at war with them. And always remember the rules. If you don't know who the person who annoys everyone in your family is, it's because it's you. Okay? Just, I hate to be the one to tell you that. But if you don't know who the annoying person in your family is, it's because you're the annoying person in your family. I'm sorry, but it's, it is what it is. You're like, how do I deal with that person? I'm going to be at war with them. They're going to argue with me about everything. Because the war is already won. The weapons that you use are the weapons that Christ has provided. The message hasn't changed. Therefore, it is already accomplished. I am at peace. And the planet's trying to kill me, and the world hates me, and all of these things. It doesn't matter. Because it is God who is accomplishing, God who is carrying me forward, and God who is at work. Christian, this is why we emphasize and celebrate Christmas. Because it gives us a chance to slow down and recognize that Christ came into the world to save sinners, but that he actually came into the world. He lived as people lived. He walked as people walked. He was tempted in the temptations that we were given, and he has overcome all of them. Not some of them. All of them. I made that joke a few weeks ago. Made this for several years. People like to look and go, if you only understood my background or if you only understood just how messed up my family is, go actually pay attention in your Old Testament to the family line of Jesus. There's idolaters and people sleeping with their father-in-law and there are prostitutes and murderers. And I mean, it's just like, wow. Like when Jesus shows up to the family reunion, it's like, yeah, you people are genuinely awful human beings. And that's the entirety of the point. Tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. He has overcome and persevered through everything. Christian, you will overcome and persevere through everything as you walk where? In Him. Guided by His Spirit. Grounded in His truth. Anchored to His Word. Because He's at work which day? Every day. This day. All the days. And He is at work where? In his people. As you are his people, you have experienced the love of God. You have experienced and are living in the hope of his promises. You have the joy of his accomplished work, and you have the peace of that accomplished work if you walk in it. The only thing that robs your peace and joy in this world is you, because you surrender it, because you have turned away to something other than God. Here's the beauty of the gospel message, for that too Christ has died that we repent of our sins, we trust back in him, and we walk faithfully, knowing that he will carry us through because his love is good and his work abides forever. Let's pray.